Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast from the Australian Men's Shed Association, shoulder to shoulder, virtually. Coming up on The Shed Wireless, we drop in on the world's longest serving shedder, the grandfather of the shed movement, Ted Donnelly. As they say, politics stop at the door. (laughs) We'll continue our nostalgic walk through the history of shedding. Why does everyone want to sit around and relax all the time, only to find out it's a terrible thing to do? We've got some strategies for staying sharp. Rip Woodchip will be along to nail it as usual, and a whole lot more. Hello and welcome to The Shed Wireless. I'm Aaron Carney. David Helmers is the Executive Officer of the Australian Men's Shed Association, and welcome to Episode 2. How are you, sir? Hello. Good, Aaron. How are you, mate? We finally made it to the second episode, all through all the hard work. And a, a big thank you to everybody who has been uh, really supportive. We've had some wonderful feedback, and uh, this was an ambitious way of trying to deal with the challenges that we've got at the moment. And people have been terrific, haven't they? It was ambitious, and we threw it out there as a it was an open plate to start with. And judging from the feedback we've received so far, it's really been widely adopted and. Yeah, the, the guys that sound genuinely enthusiastic about it and hopefully hanging on to their seats for episode to episode. Stay tuned to the very end because there's a whole heap of different ways you can get us. No doubt most of you listening right now are listening through the website where it's the one button clickers. We've worked hard to design it, but there are a whole heap of other ways. And in particular, if you've got somebody who's pretty tech savvy in your life, they might be able to hold your hand. The big advantage of going other than through the website is that it'll come to you automatically onto your phone or your iPad or your device. Someone will have to help you set that up at the other end. We'll talk a little bit more about how you do that at the end of this episode. Just on a personal note, David, how are you tracking? I know we talk four or five times a day in the course of putting all of this together, and it's sometimes it's sometimes it's like uh, ten, ten different blokes over the course of those five conversations, isn't it's it? A challenge it is, and like everyone, total readjustment between your personal life and the work life. You find yourself working longer but slower, as the phrase I've been using yeah. a bit, managing between. You know, homeschooling my son and the demands there. And, you know, I was quite relieved last week when we were, you know, a lot of the guys out there know I've got a bit of a passion or a, I wouldn't call it a passion, it's a love-hate relationship with the game of golf. So <laughs> my golf, golf course has been reopened. So I've been getting out, you know, one afternoon a week for, for a bit of a hit there. And, um, yeah, it's a good waste of time at the moment. But all in all, I'm doing okay, mate. I'm doing okay. I'm the same as you. Any excuse to get into a bit of nature, a bit of greenery around me, whatever that looks like, it makes a huge difference. It's that uh, artificial environment. But we'll talk more about that over the course of this episode as well. In the first week of the lockdown, I decided to... um, redo my shed at home Hmm. and that that was mission accomplished within about three days and I thought what am I going to do now um but I have to say that the gardens are looking good and you know between work and a bit of time out in the yard everything's going along pretty much okay at the moment well I haven't tackled my shed yet I I probably should I could probably grow rich on the uh, ancient Egyptian artifacts that might be unearthed (laughs) I actually went in there uh but that, that is a 
Something is going to happen at some point, I keep promising myself. Hey, in just a moment, we're going to be talking to Ted Donnelly, and uh, I know you two go back a ways. Uh, he, he's a remarkable man to whom we owe a lot, isn't he? He is. Look, and I, I first met Ted, it would have been two, late 2005, so 15 years ago, and look, I've got a lot of time for Ted. He's like, you know, an extra grandfather to us, I suppose, and he hasn't changed over those 15 years and what he's managed to achieve. And I think in those early days too, it's one of those great things I've often said about the men's sheds and the men's shed movement. We, neither of us ever would have anticipated, no one, that it was going to become a phenomenon around Australia, let alone the rest of the world. Um, so that was never on the agenda or on the planning. We've just rolled with the punches, so to speak, along the way. But uh, Ted, you know, from setting up the first website, I remember he always told me he went down to the local library, he'd never set a website up, didn't know much about it and borrowed a book on it. And within a few weeks, he was ringing me and said, hey, we've got the first website up and running. Here it is. So yeah, he's risen to every challenge that's been put before him through thick and thin. He and I have a long chat where we wander across a whole heap of big and small topics. And so we're going to share that chat over a couple of episodes. You'll be back a little bit later on as we walk through our history with Barry Golding of the Shed Movement across Australia and around the world. But let's talk now with the legendary Ted Donnelly. This is the Shed Wireless. Part of the magic of men's sheds is that they don't belong to anyone in particular. They're organic and they're community-based and each one has its own style and flavour. Nevertheless, the movement has its founding fathers or, in the case of our next guest, its founding grandfather. Ted Donnelly is the longest-serving shedder in the world and is the co-author of the manual Setting Up a Men's Shed developed the website back in 2005, which became the current AMSA site. And in 2010, he set up all of the initial websites for the state associations as well. Early in 2007, he got together representatives from a few of the sheds that existed then and registered the Australian Men's Shed Association. For the first year, he ran AMSA out of his spare bedroom. He's been chairman and secretary of the board, retired in 2018 after 11 years as director. And in 2013, he was made a member of the Order of Australia, which is due acknowledgement of his remarkable contribution to our country. He is known as the grandfather of men's sheds. Hello, Ted Donnelly. Uh, hello. Thank you for being on the Shed Wireless. How are you surviving these extraordinary times? Oh, quite well, really. Um, it's a little bit difficult for us. We, we are, I, I'm in a retirement village, and in fact, on the same site is the the aged care where the first people died. In fact, there's been 10 deaths in that building, and that's 200 yards away from my door. So it definitely it definitely makes you self-isolate. It, it's given, I think like most people now, actually, it's given the opportunity to do things that you've been promising to do for years in the, mm. you know, where we we're clearing out cupboards and I'm attending to the um, family tree that I promised to finish years ago and um, eventually I'll get around and try and clean up some of the tools that I've had stuck in cupboards. So, 
So, you know, we, we, we're filling in our time quite well, really. Excellent. And you clearly sound in robust health as well. We're going through the history of the Shed Movement in another segment, but in some ways this is uh, your history of the Shed Movement, or at least uh, let's start in that place. Uh, your involvement can be traced back to sort of the mid-late 90s. What led you to start a men's shed in the first place? Uh, really, I, I didn't start the Lane Cove Men's Shed. Uh, I, I, I've always put that I was a founder member. But in <laughs> fact, um, the Lane Cove Shed was, it was really set up in, in, a, in a, an unusual way. It was an experimental shed. Um, and and, and we, 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 the history of, of AMSA as written is that we were not the first shed. We, we didn't have a, an opening ceremony until December 1998, and another shed had a, a, an opening ceremony in, in July. But mm. in fact, when I've, some recent papers have come out, which I've got from the council, and in fact, they were actually discussing all this with the federal government 18 months before that. And it really all started from the, the Royal North Shore Hospital. They, did a, they were doing a, a study. They were worried about men's health and, and the, the significant effects it was having on men when, they, when they're on their own or when they were having a stressful situation like being redundancy or death of a partner and things like that. And Lane Cove being next door to the, the shed, they also were coming to the same conclusion that um, for some odd reason, there are a lot more older people living in Lane Cove and, and a lot of men living on their own. So they were worried about it as well. So they formed a committee, and I, I've seen some of the minutes of this right back into 1996, um, to, to really set up something like this. And, and they put up this scheme, and it was called the Men's Shed. Um, and in fact, they applied to the, the federal government for a grant in November 1996. And uh, they, I, I actually have a copy of the cheque that arrived in early 1997 um, from the federal government. And, oh, you know, there's a fair bit of media release then about the start of this shed. So, so there's certainly, the thing certainly exists. I mean, the federal government's not known for giving money to non-existent organisations. I, I gather from people, it was really quite interesting because they, there was no experience. They really had to start this whole thing off from scratch. And um, I think there were some fairly robust discussions. I think the health, uh, you know, the hospital side of it, they wanted to have much more physical activities in the place. You know, I think they wanted to, to have a PT session each, each session. So uh, uh, whereas, you know, the council were much more common sense, with a lot more common sense. So it went on, um, but then they, 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 they brought in uh, Uniting Care to help with this, and they really planned out really the admin and what they wanted to do. There was a bit of a, a, hic a hiccup that they actually selected a site, they had it already planned up and got some of the equipment, and then couldn't get in, so they had to start again. So it took a long time, this whole period. But then at the end, they then had the, what they wanted to happen and then they opened it up and, and to the public and said, we're thinking of starting a men's shed. And that was what I saw. And, and I went in there and I was one of the first four uh, members. So I suppose we're 
founders of the practical menshed as opposed to the planning and theoretical end of it. But it, it was a completely different setup to normal sheds, you know, where a few enthusiasts get together and uh, get together and um, and then they have to approach the council and search for the funds and the site that had all been done for us. So we we were very lucky that, you know, we just said, yes, we'll come. And there it was. And there was a building and we went in and started getting on working with it. You did have some sense that you had a blueprint for something bigger, though, right? Because you wrote How to Start a Men's Shed, a manual for others. When, when we did this, and I think possibly because it was uh, a council and, and a thing like the hospital, they, they got a lot of media interest. And I think they probably passed a lot around at, at medical conferences and things like this. So news got out very quickly about this. And, and uh, it spread very quick. And, and so we started getting a whole load of queries about how the sheds operate and how do you start one. And, and, and um, so we, we, we became a resource center for new sheds. And in fact, uh, eventually we, we got to the state that we, we'd actually helped. And Uniting Care, because of a lot of this, they recruited um, um, someone to help on this, Ruth Van Herk. And, and she was the Uniting Care representative with us. And, and Ruth was very keen on, on um, getting stuff across. And she was a very good networker and things. So she did the networking and I did the practical and the technical inquiry stuff. And it became very clear that people were all wanting to know the same sort of information, you know. So really a, a bit of self-defense, we thought, to hell with this, we'll write a book. <laughs> so that was when we, we set to and, and wrote this manual, which, which um, became a 91-page manual at the end. But in it, we put all the, uh, this, this sort of information on how to get going, how to introduce the public to the idea how to look for a site and, and approach people and all, all that sort of stuff. And then how to do the working and a whole lot of occupational health and safety, which, you know, was pretty new to a lot of people because, I mean, most of the people going into the sheds had just worked in their own garages and they didn't really have to bother about OH&S, whereas, you know, we had to put all this in the rules and, and a whole lot of signs that they could put on the machine. So it was a pretty comprehensive manual. And, and in fact... Um, Oh, I really don't know how many. I know I've cleared up about 500 of them out over the period of time. And you're aware that some of them were used as the basis to create sheds that came into existence and perhaps still exist, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, and all over the place. I had one very funny email, actually. I got this email and I couldn't understand it because it was from a yacht up above Darwin. And it said... <laughs> I saw your, your manual on how to set up a men's shed. And currently we are sailing around the world and I'm planning what to do for my retirement. And I thought this would answer it. Where can I get a copy? <laughs> so, so it got into some awfully funny places, actually. Why then did you feel that uh, some sort of national body that we now know as AMSA, why did you feel like that was increasingly necessary? They were asking a lot of the same information and people were desperate to, to get to see other sheds and to get involved with other people. And there was a, an awful lot of, of, of sort of reinventing the wheel going on at that time, really. So we felt that we, we, um, we, we really ought to get some sort of grouping. In, in um, 2005, 
there'd been a, a conference down at Lakes Entrance, which one of the Victorian sheds, St. Gary Green, set up. Now, Gary was a nurse, and, and he'd set it up really to, to sort of explain some of the health advantages that people were seeing. But news got around that this was a men's shed conference, and it just got, it just got taken over by all, all the other sheds around the place. And, <laughs> um, um, and it really was very good. And, and then in the, in the, in the uh, sort of networking chat around outside, it was sort of said, you know, we really ought to get together and form an association so we can pass information to each other and, 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 and build up a bit of strength if we're trying to get any funding and things like that. But we could never really work out, you know, how are you going to do it and what was it going to do and all the rest. So it, nothing happened with that from a national point of view. Victoria carried on looking at it from the point of view of setting up a state association. But that was there and it stuck in my mind that that was, that was a, a thing that was really necessary. At that conference, we, uh, we volunteered to, to run a second conference in Manly in 2007. And we were getting organised up for this and things were going all right and... and but we were, by that stage, a lot of a lot of other organisations, media and health organisations and councils and government, were aware of men's sheds. So there was a lot of publicity. But at that time, there was a, a competitive organisation. A, a, a small company of consultants had realised that you could make some money out of setting up men's sheds, and uh, a lot of people thought this conference was really just one of their events, and and we were losing a lot of interest. So really, out of self-defence, we had to do something. So in January 2007, I got in, in I got down to Sydney and got the um, AMSA. Um, set up as a, a men's shed association, an incorporated association. Uh, we didn't have any money, of course, so I set it up as, a, as a, a New South Wales association because that was cheap. And But it did have the advantage that provided the headquarters at that time was in New South Wales. Then you could, you could have members on the committee from other states. So we got the functionality of a national board or committee you know, without without the cost of, of setting up a full association, but they they really pushed us in that sense. But then, you know, in the conference, it it was really very uh, definite that this is what people wanted. They they really wanted to have a central organisation, keeping all the stuff together and and acting really as the source for men's sheds. And certainly, the government and things were uh, they were very keen to have just one voice coming to them for 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 one organisation. So they were very keen on that. So, hearing what you've just said there, how did the national organisation that was registered in New South Wales and the states? How has that relationship evolved? How do they interact with each other? Certainly, the associations has has evolved. Uh, AMSA has evolved enormously, but it. Um, the thing was that when we had the conference, everybody was, it was a really exciting time and everybody was saying, oh, we'll, we'll do this and we'll help with this and, and all the rest. But then when it calmed down, the, the people who were really keen on, on getting this going, they had things to do themselves. You know, they were keen on setting up their own state associations and setting up um, cluster groups and things like this, you know, more locally. Uh, so it, it got very difficult to uh, keep everybody together on that. And there was a lot to be done. Um, I was chasing around trying to get insurance, uh, a centralised insurance, mm. and we couldn't really get enough numbers to interest insurance people. And Constitution, we tried to get that established properly, but we, we hadn't got the election sorted out by then, so we couldn't. 
So it really became very clear. And, and at the same time, I was spending my time printing these manuals and putting them into folders and posting them. And it really became clear that uh, you, you couldn't run an association of the complexity that this was building up into um, on voluntary help. It just wasn't, uh, it wasn't sensible. So you know, we were very fortunate, really, that uh, at that time, Centrecare in Newcastle, they'd got a grant to develop a men's shed at Windale, and David Helmers was taken on to, uh, to set that up, which he did. And then it was extended, the, the grant was extended out to, um, to let him set up, and he set up the Hunter uh, cluster group. When he was talking with them, it was, it was fairly obvious that he'd, he'd done what was needed. Um, so Sendicare agreed that they would use the last year of the grant and, and they would pay David to um, come into AMSA and, uh, you know, really put, work full time on, on setting it up properly. And, and it was very fortunate that it was David, really, because he'd, he'd had a lot of previous experience with um, associations. So he knew how they worked and how to fundraise and contacts and things like this. So that made an enormous difference. And then we um, um, we fairly quickly after that had a that well what was really the first ever committee meeting in Canberra with representatives from the states and we drew up a completely new constitution um, and one of the problems really was to get sorted out on this uh, national level and David had done a lot of research onto this and and and, and took legal advice and and really what they were saying is that as a charity situation as we were, we really should be set up as a not-for-profit charity limited by guarantee rather than as an association, because it was a much simpler um, and more functional structure. And and this is what, what most of the charities, sports clubs and various things like this are all set up as, and that's what we agreed to do. And um, And in fact, at the end of that, four of us went off to visit the federal people being there in Canberra and started the groundwork to, to see about getting a, mm. a grant. And then it, it, it sort of moved on from there. And after the Canberra conference, really, we then got AMSA more functional. You know, we had a clearly defined structure. We had an office with facilities to communicate with the sheds, you know, instead of me using the, the Lane Cove telephone, Lane Cove shed telephone. So we, we had the ability to, to uh, communicate with members. We had an experienced executive officer, and, and staff, and that made us fully functional. And, and really, in effect, um, AMSA was really reborn from that time, actually, because that's when it really steamed ahead. And, and by that time, there was, oh, three, well, 300 odd members on the, on the website, but you know, then it, it just, well, it just went berserk from then onwards for a couple of years. At what point in your journey did you realize that? this thing was going to blow up. Like you were saying right back in the early days, you had a sense that there was something a little special about it, that it spoke to men in a certain way that nothing else did. But at what point on this journey did you know that you were on to something huge? Well, it, it took a bit of time in a way, really, because, you know, we, we went into the shed and we were just happy doing woodwork and all the rest of it. And and then when we went out helping with other sheds again, it was it was all great fun. But we were not aware of any any health advantages of it all. You know, if somebody had said to us, you know, you you are really more healthy than you were, we, we you know, we, we'd have laughed at them, really. And it was people outside the shed who were seeing us. And in fact, particularly, actually, I think one of the biggest were wives. 
and and many of the wives were, were beginning mm. to say, you know, crikey, you know, he, he's he's a a lot lot better now, you know, he, he's he's brighter and he, he comes back from the shed and he's got something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so so then it gradually started dawning, and people were were, were putting out notes about this. It was fairly it was fairly shortly after the conference, and we'd really got the thing properly set up. David had a, a, a newsletter going in Windale, and we used that as the AMSA uh, newsletter. It was when that started to go in out, and the numbers really started picking up dramatically. And, and we thought, well, yeah, this is really is, is going strong. And we, we could then really see it going very strong in Australia. We really, I think at that stage, no concept that it was going to go international. And it was really when, when um, at one of the conferences... Um, and John Avoy came across from Ireland, and, and he was really taken with it all. And uh, he then went back and set up Ireland. And of course, it's it's on gangbusters there in Ireland. Mm. I mean, it's a fantastic situation in Ireland where you have the two countries, but you've just one organisation for men's sheds, you know. And and then they have one meeting down in the south and one in the north, and it's you know politics, as they say, politics stop at the door. <laughs> We really had no concept that we were starting off a thing like this. But they most certainly had started something. That's where we will pause our chat with Ted Donnelly for this episode. But we'll hear more from the grandfather of the sheds in upcoming episodes. Nailed it! Nailed it! Nailed it! Nailed it with Rip Woodchip. G'day, Shedders. Rip Woodchip here. How you all going today? I've just been out mowing the lawn and listening to the first episode of the Shed Wireless. Not too bad at all. Good on you, Hamster. Well done. I recently got myself some of them Bluetooth earmuffs, you know, that I can just hook up to my phone, whack them on, and away I go. They're also not too bad at drowning out the missus snoring, if you know what I mean, too. So how'd you all go logging onto the Shed Online last week anyway? Not that hard, is it? Even an idiot like me could do it, as I have proved once again. Amongst some of the other important jobs that I've been doing at the moment, like feeding the chooks and trimming my ear hair, I've managed to squeeze a little time to get on there myself and see what's going on. And there's some pretty useful stuff on there too that we should be paying attention to, boys. Even just on the homepage, for example. You just scroll down a bit and you see this bit on the Wheel of Wellbeing. There's some info and suggestions there and those little things we need to do every day just to keep us from going batshit crazy, if you're not already. Especially in times like this. It's all true, but we've got to take care of ourselves, fellas. No other bugger does. There's some pretty bloody obvious stuff on there, but sometimes we need a good kick in the pants. I mean, gentle reminder, to keep us on track. Like get outside and work up a sweat for half an hour or so. Or do something to get your mind ticking, like a crossword puzzle or something. We all know that if you leave the tractor in the paddock for too long, boys, she'll eventually get rusty and seize up. So crank her over every day. And for Pete's sake, boys, stay bloody connected. They reckon the first sign of going mad is talking to yourself. So go annoy some other bastard, even if it is just over the phone or by email. There's plenty of tips on that AMSA website to help us keep in touch while we're not down at the shed. We've got to think outside the square a little bit, fellas, and share some ideas so we can all help each other out. For example, I was reading on there how there's this shed where none of the blokes are capable of reading their emails or logging on and stuff like that. So this one bloke prints out the newsletter for everyone and goes around and drops it in all the members' letterboxes. Now that is the shed spirit. 
There's something on here for everyone, that's for sure. It's kind of like being at the shed. You ask for a bit of help or an opinion, and everyone chimes in and gives their two cents. Whether helpful or not, it doesn't matter. It just makes you feel not so alone, you know? There's blokes rattling on there about everything from whippersnippers to Alpha Bloody Romeos. One bloke's building a roof and needs a tip or two, and there's this other group of fellas talking technology. Gee whiz, I thought I was pretty good with that sort of stuff, but these guys are speaking a different language. Crikey. Anyway, fellas, if you haven't already, get on there and join in the banner. Share some ideas and have a yarn with your shedder mates from all over the world. I look forward to talking to you online. All right, guys, catch you next week. See you, guys. Over the course of the first few episodes here on The Shed Wireless, we are walking through the history of the Australian men's shed movement. Colourful and organic history that it is with Professor Barry Golding. Barry is, of course, a patron of the Australian Men's Shed Association, the inaugural chair of the International Men's Shed Organization, and author of The Men's Shed Movement, The Company of Men, as well as a famed winner of the AMSA Ted Donnelly Award for Outstanding Contribution to the Men's Shed Movement. In the first episode of The Shed Wireless, we talked about the very first sheds, but It's a long way from those early days to something that could properly be described as a movement. So how did that expansion happen? Barry, how did that happen? Okay. Um, Some of it is mired in the mists of time. Um, I was actually told by David Helmets um, when I started uh, really seriously researching the book but I shouldn't look for the first men's shed in the world. I still remember that very well, Barry. (laughs) I'll never let you forget it. David said there'll be a huge shit fight um, if you you find it, and and he thought it it wasn't actually going to lead to anything. But, of course, I'm not not saying that uh, um, the first sheds I've found are the first, definitely, but I'm pretty certain they are. The difficulty is that, Things were happening in different places at different times independently. And while the first men's shed by that name, opened by that name, as as in called a men's shed, opened in, um, in Tongala in Victoria in 1998, it was opened by Dick, it was opened and it was actually called the, the, the Dick McGowan Men's Shed in memory of um, Dick McGowan, uh, who was very unwell at that stage. Um, he'd actually been a primary school uh, vice principal and had been thrown out of work, ironically, by Jeff Kennett in the, in, in the, um, in the restructure of schools in, um, in Victoria. And uh, he was depressed, he'd had diabetes, um, and he was the one who recognised uh, that men needed somewhere to go, something to do, uh, and uh, someone to talk with. And it's really fascinating, he, he actually wrote, uh, he was a very sick man, but he actually wrote as he, he knew he was dying, and he actually wrote, and I'm reading this, he said, uh, now the real challenge begins. Um, 
uh, in that is to use the facility, that is the men's shed he'd created, in order to build the daily achievements of companionship, a feeling of worth, physical activity and pride of accomplishment. And um, he actually was very careful in, in that first men's shed to acknowledge that it wasn't the aged care home that set the men's shed up that was going to be responsible. He actually set up an organisation called the Company of Men, which I um, used as the title of my book. And he, he wrote, the Company of Men is the umbrella organisation and a subcommittee of the management committee for the daily running of the shed. And he said, I'm sorry I'm not able to take the role I envisaged in this at this time, but Tongala has the capacity and people to achieve a successful ongoing program. So here's the challenge, exclamation mark. Let's make life interesting for all men, and he capitalised all men, who choose to be part of the activities for not being able to take the role I had envisaged in this. Now, I, I, I've read that because I think it's incredibly prescient because he, he knew he was unwell. He knew he'd somehow stumbled upon something that was powerful and he'd lined all the ducks up and got it up and running. And although he was very unwell, he had enough vision to know that this was something really special that he created and he was really incredibly sorry that he wasn't going to be around to see what happened. I, th I think there, Barry, that depend really what was the founding principles for all men's sheds today, way back then. You know, when you talk about, when you read that, he's pretty much summarised what men's sheds evolved uh, into today. Look, when I, when I found that, um, I, uh, I nearly cried because... Um, and then, then, of course, what I did was I, I, I contacted Tongala and said, have you still got the um, Dick McGowan Men's Shed? They said, yes, we've still got a plaque on the wall to say it was opened in 1998, but it's called the Tongala Men's Shed now. And I said, well, can you tell me more about it? They said, well, you'll have to go to his wife, Ruth. And Ruth emailed me in January of 2015 and she emailed, in the email, she said, and I'm reading this, she said her late husband was very passionate about this project and very, worked very hard uh, to make it a reality. And amazingly, for the, for the last um, 25 years, um, Ruth has participated and, as an honorary bloke and the only woman in that shed, and she hand turns a whole range of things, including wooden pens, on a lathe, and she's she's done, done all sorts of stuff, and she's the most beautiful woman. I actually have a pen that was made by Ruth that she sent me. Yes, um, and it sits on my desk. And a little side story to the pen: it only gets pulled out on rare occasions. And for the last sort, I think I've had that pen about five, six, seven years now. Yep. And every one of our uh, government funding agreements has been signed to be using that pen. It's the only time I pull it out of the drawer, out of the box. It, it's a great it's a great story and um, the yeah the the, the the what's what's now called and you, as you probably recall uh, you you came to the launch of my book in Tongala. So when I wrote my book I thought 
in order to acknowledge where this has come from and acknowledge those who have created it, I went back to the shed in Gulwa and launched the book there mm-hmm. and also launched the book in the Tongala Men Shed. And, of course, Paul Sladden came down, uh, one of the AMSA directors, and he came down and uh, did the honours. And it was absolutely beautiful. It, it was a great event, that. I, I still remember that because I had John Avoy with me from Ireland at that stage and we just did an epic road trip from Sydney to Adelaide yeah, it's a long way around uh, visiting sheds along the way, and uh, it was John's first experience at the vastness of Australia. And the, the the thing I liked about what I've just said in this program is that um, the people who created them, including Maxine Kiddo back in South Australia, and uh, Ruth McGowan, both had no idea that their that they they and their husbands had actually created this um, beautiful monster that had actually by that stage gone worldwide. So they weren't basking in the glory. They weren't hanging around waiting for someone to find them, but they were just so, um, so chuffed and yet so humble about what they and Dick McGowan had achieved. And and that's why I loved the story. Barry, there's something of a paradox there. On the one hand, they had a sense that they had lightning in a bottle, that this was really something special. But simultaneously, they seemed to have no sense that they were unleashing the phenomenon that would become the men's shed. No, well, well in fact, it took me it took me about six months just to track down um, Maxine Kiddo. Um, it took me ages to find her because she'd uh, she'd uh, remarried she'd changed the name she'd moved to Papua New Guinea she'd been working in an Aboriginal health service in Central Australia when I tried to track her down of course she thought who's this strange man trying to find me and I I the only way I found her was actually going back to Goolwa and I rang the information center so I'm trying to track down this woman and uh, someone knew of someone who knew her and they contacted her through a third party. And finally, Maxine very reluctantly emailed me and said, look, <laughs> what do you want? Um, and I just said, look, I don't want anything, but you, you might be interested to know that. And that's where the conversation went from. And, of course, David, you'll recall that Maxine was yes, a stunning yes. speaker at the, I, I recall it was the Gold Coast Conference in four years, four years ago. And, and she, was, she was the most remarkable speaker and, and, and she wasn't um, boasting about what she'd done. If anything, she, she was basically saying to people, look, you guys have created this. I just, I just provided the spark. I think Maxine summarised it. Um, really well and you know I've often said the same thing is that there was not one person or one incident that actually started men's sheds yeah there's there's a group of people that were all thinking along the same lines and it was like a big pyramid you know it's been morphed and shaped along the way you know over the, the last decade or two to what it is now but there was you know it was never anyone's vision to create this it, it grew purely organically. Yeah, and I think the next part of the story, and maybe in the next program, we can cover how it all came together in terms of becoming a movement and how the how the state 
Association in the first instance, the Victorian Association and the Australian Association formed. And that is exactly what we will do next time when we continue to explore the history of the Australian Men's Shed Association and the Shed Movement with Professor Barry Golding and David Helmers here on The Shed Wireless. Staying strong. Staying sharp. And staying healthy. With The Shed Wireless. If you're retired, you probably already have a piece of wisdom that the rest of the general population is learning the hard way right now. While we humans think that we want to sit around, relax and do nothing all the time, if that's what you actually do, it doesn't make for a very nice life. But to some extent, that is what we're all being forced to do at the moment. So how can we make sure that it doesn't come at the cost of our life? How do we do it well? How can we have purpose, challenge our minds, feel engaged and feel inspired? Well, Stuart Torrance is the AMSA's Men's Health Project Coordinator and he spends plenty of time thinking about this particular challenge. Hello, mate. How are you going, Aaron? Yeah, I'm doing well. How's your time been since we last spoke? Have you uh, wet a line? Uh, no, I've I've negotiated to go fishing a couple of times, but nothing's come of it. I, I saw a funny thing on the internet last night. My wife just got back from the shopping centre. I sat her down and listened to the amazing stories of the outside world. Which is <laughs> <laughs> rather, rather dramatic, but I, I, I get the sense of where he's coming from. More, more generally, how, how are you tracking? It's, it's interesting. The more conversations I have, the more... People are changing over time in these circumstances that we find ourselves in. You know, some people are getting more used to it. Uh, some people are finding it harder than ever. And a lot of people are swinging from one pole to the other. We're doing a lot of um, welfare calls around the sheds uh, around Australia and just chatting to a, a couple of the guys. They, they're chomping at the bit to get back into the shed. But I think it's more to do with that uh, social isolation and the feeling that um, they're not apart, uh, and that's a big part of what sheds obviously are about, uh, are about being a part uh, of community and so on. But I also think they're not exercising their brain as much uh, as they um, normally do, and uh, they're feeling that. I want to talk about that uh, at length in just a moment, but before we do, when last we spoke you set a bit of a challenge and recommended that people try and reach out and make a connection, you know, go and look up an old phone number and see how somebody's tracking. When you ring around, are there a few people doing that sort of thing, trying to manufacture some some artificial connections rather than the natural ones that happen at the shed? Well, obviously the shedders are contacting each other uh, and um, they're sharing their databases and, and, and ringing each other and checking on in on each other. Um, but I do know of a couple of family friends that uh, have been ringing people overseas. And now because of technology, you can do that very cheap um, because you can do mm. it online. It actually got me thinking of uh, some friends I've got in the States. And uh, just recently, I've reached out to them. I've sent them emails and uh, I've made phone calls. And um, it's been good to reminisce about the trips that we did and uh, tell some old stories. It was good. On, on the one hand, 
we're all alone and isolating, but also if you talk to somebody in America and they're isolated in their circumstance or in England mm. and they're isolated in their circumstance, it actually shares a common humanity at the same time, doesn't it? Well, it, it gives you something to focus on, something to talk about, the craziness that is COVID-19 and um, what's happening in each uh, individual area because some of the restrictions they've got in the States are pretty you know, hard, hard hit. Um, in um, the UK, much the same. Um, I think we've actually done it pretty well here in Australia. I don't think there's anywhere in the world I'd rather be than here right now. I was uh, just talking to a, a gentleman down in uh, South Australia. He says the, the closest COVID-19's come to his community is 200 kilometres away. Mm. And um, I think our tyranny of distance where we are in the world is actually standing us in good stead. Yeah, it's somewhat off topic for why we're gathered to chat today, but I, I read that we did particularly well as a country when the Spanish flu went around about 100 years ago as well for the same reason, just simply it's an easier place to social distance and mm. uh, viruses tend not to like the heat too much. So um, we, we tend to overachieve in this regard, not that I'm in any way suggesting that anyone needs to drop their guard because we need to stay diligent. Yeah, absolutely. We, we should wait until we're instructed to um, start cohabiting and all them sort of things. It's, uh, cohabiting, that's the wrong word. <laughs> Aaron, what, what, well, what was I, I thinking? I, I don't know. I don't know what you're planning to do when the restrictions are lifted, Stuart. Maybe it's exactly what you meant. I don't know, mate. Oh, Let's get back to the point. So, I, I actually started by saying, if you retired, one of the hard lessons a lot of guys have to learn is you think you want to sit around and potter. But you can go mad in about three minutes flat if you do that. And uh, as I say, a lot of people are learning that lesson who are a lot uh, younger at the moment and finding themselves in the circumstance. So if we accept that that is wisdom, how do we go about, I guess, setting ourselves uh, challenges to stay engaged and, and stay stimulated? I was actually um, looking through some old uh, material the other day and uh, I came across... Um, a comment, and I don't know who who said it, but um, who said schooling and learning was just for school age kids? <laughs> we should be doing this all the way through our lives um, because the things you know when you're forty weren't around when you were twenty. So you are continuously learning and uh, continuously uh, expanding your mind, your opinion, your thoughts, uh, and learning new knowledge. Um, so it's very important that we keep mentally fit and well and continuously growing in information. Innate in that is this sense of challenge and purpose and well-being because I, I know we all feel it from time to time that the world bolts away from you. You know, if you don't somehow find a way uh, to keep your foot in the stirrup, the thing will get away from you. And so while there's value in learning for learning's sake, there's also value in learning to make sure that you're still a part of the modern world, right? Oh, absolutely. Like Aaron, um, in previous jobs, I was the go-to person for all the IT and all mm. the computer stuff. And in the past couple of years, I've actually found that I'm slipping backwards. I'm not keeping up to date. I'm not keeping uh, ahead of all the new innovations. 
and I'm actually feeling that that's detrimental to me. Yeah. And um, so now I'm challenging myself by, you know, stepping up and checking out some different programs, finding out how they work. This uh, Zedcaster that you've got <laughs> yeah. me doing here um, in and of itself was a learning process. So, um, yeah, very interesting stuff. So there'd be a lot of uh, shedders listening right now going, yeah, I'm hearing your boys. You're preaching to the choir here. That's why we get involved in the sheds and we want to go mm. back there, right? But that's not the reality that a lot of people find themselves in at this precise moment. So what's the workaround? What do you recommend? If if what we're looking at is keeping our mind sharp and uh, continuous learning, well, you can start with the IT and there are things like Pinterest and YouTube. There's the Shed Online, of course, that we've uh, introduced not so long ago. But then there's those that, as you say, aren't IT literate. Um, and these IT people, hey, when was the last time you picked up a good book? Mm. Uh, sending, a, sending a letter uh, to somebody, actually putting pen to paper. You've got the TV, of course, um, but that can be a bit monotonous. When was the last time we actually turned on the radio? But then you've got your home workshop. You've got uh, craft and painting, all these hobbies that you can take up. If you're, if you're an outside type person, go for a walk, go to the garden. But when you're doing those things, be aware of your surroundings. Uh, that's very important. These are the things that keep us sharp and keep us learning about our environment and what's around. i tell you something oh, yeah. I like to enjoy from time to time is uh, we've got over the course of, I don't know, 20 years, three or four different versions of Trivial Pursuit. And, <laughs> and I like randomly pulling out a card and you generally got five or six questions on a card and give myself a mark out of five, see how many I can get out of five. Uh, uh, often, often, you know, play with whoever else is around as well. So it doesn't have to be get out the game and play it formally and roll the dice. It can just be, you know, who was Prime Minister of Australia when the war ended, that kind of thing. I, I can really recommend it. And it gets all of those uh, mental juices flowing. And it's a conversation starter as well. That question might lead to you talking about the first time you ever voted or something like that. So um, it's a really good way to go down a wormhole of thought. But uh, on the other hand, what you can then do is take that to the pub when covert's all gone and win the tri uh, trivial pursuit. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Or uh, ring those mates of yours in America and uh, challenge them to a bit of a trivia challenge virtually, mate. <laughs> well, Aaron, all of this is very important about keeping your mind sharp and continuous learning, uh, and we've just been discussing that. But my previous role before uh, working with the, uh, the Men's Shed was with Alzheimer's Australia. Yes. And they totally focus on exercising your brain and they have that saying you don't use it you lose it uh, and I think it's very important that as we uh, get older as we mature as we uh, progress through life that we are continuously learning that we're continuously taking things on board there's new things happening all the time and it's a matter of us keeping aware and um, being uh, in tune with our surroundings and learning all this new stuff that bombards us on a daily basis. 
Well, if you're listening to this right now, it means you know how to listen to a podcast so you can be the smartest bloke and ring a friend or FaceTime a friend or email a friend and tip them into how to listen to a podcast because I think it'll also give you some pause for thought, a little bit of entertainment and perhaps be a conversation starter as well. Great to catch up, Stuart. We'll do it again sooner. Fantastic, Aaron. Looking forward to it. You take care and uh, hope everyone's well and keeping safe. Back at you, my friend. Stuart Torrance is AMSA's Men's Health Project Coordinator. Now on the Shed Wireless, let's see who's working in the shed. Working in the shed and working on your shed is Liz McDonald, who is AMSA's Shed Development Manager. Hello, Liz. Hi, Aaron. How are you? I'm great. Be honest. Be honest with everybody listening. Yeah. Where are you right now? Okay. I'm in my bedroom Uh and um, I had to go into an area that would not um, be all muffled and, um, uh, you know, contain the sound. So I have my laptop computer piled onto three tontine pillows (laughs) and it's leaning up against a fourth pillow. Um, I'm in my leisure wear. And I was a bit panicky. I was a bit panicky about a camera, and then I realised it was a podcast. No, no, we're all good. As as I say, we now have night pajamas and day pajamas in Australia. That is exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. I don't don't think I've seen my wife in anything other pajamas or gym gear for a couple of months now. No. Well, as as I say to my colleague Mel at work, it's called leisure wear. (laughs) Absolute leisure wear. Yeah. So you are working in the shed, even though you are working at home at the moment and just happen to be uh, sprawled out in your bedroom. Uh, If we went into the file and looked at your job description, what does it actually say under Shed Development Manager? Okay. Um, As with many jobs in um, AMSA, we have to multitask. Um, My primary role is to run the National Shed Development Program, which is a grants program for sheds all across Australia. So I'm really the money lady there. um, There's $1 million that's given out each year in two rounds, uh, so therefore $500,000 per round. So I administer that program on behalf of the department Um, So there's a lot of work involved with that because as one round finishes, another round will kick off. So there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of helping sheds in accessing that grants program, helping them to understand the process, um, advising them on what's eligible and what isn't. So that that takes up a fair bit of my, um, my time. Um, I also develop a lot of resources for men's sheds. So uh, we have a particular spot on the AMSA website, which is called the the library, the resources library. So there's all sorts of goodies in there for the sheds. And the sheds may ring me up and say, do you have something on, you know, a particular topic? And we don't. So I'll develop the resource or... I might see a weakness um, in some sort of shed operational area. So we'll develop a resource. 
So that takes up um, some time, but I love doing that. I really enjoy that. Um, I do the government reporting. So we have to do a report to the federal government every six months on our work uh, called uh, deliverables. So I pull that all together as well. Plus all the other bits and pieces like phone calls from all across the country and they don't realise there's a time difference. Um, so, so there might be a three-hour time difference in daylight savings. So you'll be in the middle of a show and you'll get a phone call at 9 o'clock, but that's okay. Yeah. So, it's look, it's, it's incredibly varied, but um, it's great. Weren't you a teacher for a long time? I was, yes. Um, I worked for the New South Wales State Government. Um, yeah, I, I was a teacher for 20 years and um, I was a secondary school teacher in geography and economics. And how did you transition from that into this? Oh, right, okay. Well, I'd never been outside a school environment and I had a fascination with real estate, believe it or not. So I did my real estate licence and worked in real estate for about four years, mm. loved it, but it was seven days a week. And I'm very tight with my family and I thought, this is crazy, I just don't see anybody. So I went back to do casual teaching and um, didn't particularly enjoy the casual teaching. I was offered a position on the far north coast, which didn't um, suit. So there was a job going in um, uh, Catholic Care in Newcastle for um, uh, working with disadvantaged kids. So I took that and I loved it. And one day my boss came in and said, would you like to build a men's shed in Window? That was in 2002. And I said to him, what's a men's shed? He said, don't know. I've just been to a meeting and they want one. And I thought you might be the person. So <laughs> that's where it all started. That's a pretty definitive moment in time, right? It, it was. It was an extraordinary moment in time because Professor Tony Vinson had done a study on postcodes and particular postcodes came up as the most disadvantaged in Australia. And one of them happened to be Windale in um, Newcastle. And they put some government money into the community and the men in the community said, we'd like a men's shed. And they'd been to visit a few, such as Nambucca Heads on the North Coast. And so my boss was at that meeting and he came back and he said, yeah, would, would you like to build a men's shed in window? So it started from there and um, it's like an addiction. <laughs> I just, I love it. It's the Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I... I, look, the, the sheer joy of seeing the men's shed, you know, be built and opened and the look on their faces, I mean, that, that, is, that was in 2004, but it, it really hasn't gone away. It's, I just love what the sheds do and what they do for their community, particularly the men in their community. So it's, um, there's always something, something great happening there. Yeah. Anyway, I I can sort of rave on about sheds. What do you find the most challenging part of day-to-day -day work? Distance. Um, Australia is a huge country. Um, 
one one of the challenges is is that we do love face to face because most of our work is via email and telephone. We love face to face, so we try to get out there as much as we can. But the sheer size of the country makes it very very challenging. So. Um, Mel and I are known as Thelma and Louise because we do a lot of road trips <laughs> and we um, we set out and we'll visit maybe four sheds a day. We get in the car and off we go. We put a pile of goodies in the back and we, tr- we get out there and try to visit as many sheds as we can. Um, so we've done, you know, Western Queensland and Brisbane to Bundaberg and we've gone down to Cobram and we've gone all over the place. So you can't you can't do that without being out of the office for a long period of time. It's also a strain on financial resources to do that. So that's one of the most challenging parts of the job is that face-to-face. And they love it. The sheds love it. You know, they, they put the kettle on and, you know, we even had a lace tablecloth at one shed because the president's wife said, you can't let those girls drink out of those shed coffee cups. So he came in with Grand China. You actually raise an interesting point there that I wasn't going to discuss, but since we're here, how do you find being a woman working in a men's program like this? The gender thing has never, ever been an issue I I just from my perspective I see myself as a person who um, hopefully can bring something to the shed movement so the gender is irrelevant it's about it's about the skills and expertise that I have and the the passion I have and the blokes in the shed um out of out of 100 sheds maybe one shed has said Oh, how come women work at the men's shed? It, it's never an issue for the for the shedders because they they talk to us a lot. They they deal with us a lot. So we're just part of the, the men's shed team. It's it's never really been an issue. No, in, in fact, the exact opposite. I've had one or two blokes make the joke to me saying, oh, yeah, well, the actual place is run by women, even though it's the shit. Well, this is true, Aaron. Hard to argue, hard to argue. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's finish on that positive. What is it that you really love about this job? Why do you want to work in the shed? There are many reasons, but I love when I walk into a shed, whether it's a shed with um fantastic facilities and over 100 members or whether it's a a shed um, that's an old tin shack with 15 members, the look on their faces. They're so proud of what they do. Um, They have to give you a guided tour. Um, They want to talk about what they do. They want to talk about what they do for their community. And the impact that the shed has on them as individuals and on them as a group as well as their community it's you just can't measure it it is it is that sheer joy of um seeing what the shed movement is doing and i know that sounds you know like something out of a novel but it's true i i love being in a shed and just 
breaking bread with them and chatting to them and and sharing sharing what they're doing and it you you will hear it a lot um it changes lives it absolutely changes lives it's it's brilliant we were we went to one shed in country new south wales where there were holes in the wall that you could walk through but they thought they were in a palace it it was totally irrelevant that there were holes in the walls. And I'm saying, what what's the go with the walls? No, nah, it's okay. And they had a bucket under the sink because they didn't have any plumbing. And it didn't matter. They were having the best time. Liz, you capture the essence of why so many of us who never really had any ambition to be involved with the shed movement find ourselves uh, barnacles on that boat as it ploughs its way forward, even here in the virtual space, as we are now forced to do. Uh, Thank you for telling us about your work in the shed as the shed development manager for AMSA, Liz McDonald. Thanks, Aaron. It's been great. Thank you. You're listening to The Shed Wireless. And that is where we put a pin in this episode of The Shed Wireless. Thank you to all of our guests. Thank you to you, David. Hit them long and straight. Thanks, Aaron. I'll try my best, mate. And thanks, everyone, (laughs) for listening. And we'll hear you all back in episode three. Just a couple of housekeeping matters about, well, A, how you can get us, and B, how you can spread the word. Obviously, you can just get us through the AMSA website. And if you've got a mate who isn't particularly technologically switched on, it's as simple as typing into the Google machine AMSA website and you can follow his nose from there. If you are a little bit more tuned into the podcast world and uh, apps on your phone, that kind of thing, or if you've got someone in your life who can give you a bit of a leg up in this regard, We come out through Apple iTunes, we come out through Spotify, we come out through Red Circle, pretty much any of those regular podcast apps uh, or platforms is where you can get us. You can just type in the Shed Wireless and you should be able to find us. The charm of doing it that way, if you can, is it means that you don't have to remember to come and get an episode. The episode will come to you and just turn up on your phone or your other device and you can listen to it anytime. So do check it out on those other platforms. If you use us on the other platforms, please give a rating and make a comment because that boosts us and it makes it easier for other people to find the Shed Wireless. But thank you for your company. Thank you for your support. It really has meant a lot. I'm Aaron Carney. Stay safe, stay strong, and we'll see you shoulder to shoulder virtually really soon.